You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, thank you for for this morning, for your mercy, for your grace, um, renewed uh, for its renewal each day um, as manna from heaven for this day, our daily bread. Lord, your word comes to us. Um, uh, tells us we need Jesus, and it gives uh, Jesus to us. Um, thank you. Open us now and stop our ears and open our eyes to, to see and behold you uh, in your grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Claude. Um, so moving through Romans, um, getting close. So we're going to do next week. Um, uh, Lord willing be in Romans 9 through 11 next week. Three chapters, three dense chapters of Romans. Um, talking to David Tanner earlier this morning. Um, obviously not going verse by verse through Romans, this, uh, this series, which is kind of extended. When I started it, I think in October, with a couple of long breaks, uh, I didn't have in mind exactly how far we'd go. And they'd probably just kind of around the bend after Easter, because we'll take a break during Lent, because this room turns over into a chicken picking central. Um, uh, probably just keep going. Uh, but next week, I'm going to try to do all three chapters, 9 through 11, in one, one chapter. Not going verse by verse, um, talking to David Tanner. See, I knew I started that sentence for a reason. Uh, it, it, Romans is, I mean, obviously, I love the book. Um, and it, 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 is, it is well to step out, not necessarily from a 40,000-foot view, but maybe a 10,000-foot view, um, and really look at the sections, and really hone in on the sections. And I always sort of try to guess, what, what has the Lord been doing to me as His Word is living and active? Like I just said, opening my eyes and unstopping my ears, and what has he, he given me to see or hear? Again, maybe even for the first time. And, uh, and as simple as it sounds, just going through Romans the way that we've been, I've been given the privilege to do these last several months, uh, Paul's repetition of words. Is it Wordle? No. What's the word frequency app where if you like, take a section of words and it'll like, show up and, and a word that appears the most will be the biggest? What's, what's that app called? Do y'all know? Anyway, that, that word art. Um, if you do that with Romans, it'd be good to do that section to section. Is that me? Okay. Oh, must be Josh. So, no, it's not you. So. Um, uh, Paul just uses certain words all the time, uh, which tells us, this is what I want you to know, Gil. This is it. And today it's going to be flesh and spirit. Um, in chapter 5, like we looked at, it was plainly gift and all the derivatives thereof, about three different ways that he talked about gift. In Romans 4, uh, it was this word, this strange, beautiful, odd word, logizomai, which doesn't really have an English equivalent. Impute in some other ways doesn't quite do it. Yes. Oh, somebody's phone is ringing, or there's a, an alarm going off or something. Ah. Um, good. Um, like a phone droning on over and over and over. Paul just drones on. So, um, <laughs> with a strong sense of uh, of what he wants you to know. And, and today, in the first section of Romans eight, 
it's going to be the contrast between flesh and spirit. Just because he uses them so many times. I'm going through and I'm counting, which is real easy now with, with, uh, with things online. He uses the word flesh 12 times and spirit 14 times. Um, he hasn't used the word spirit hardly at all. He used it one time in chapter 5. And then all of a sudden he can't, it, literally, he can't use a sentence without using the word spirit twice. Um, so, just going through Romans, um, unstopping our, our ears and, uh, and opening our eyes to see and behold the thing that he wants us to see and behold. Because the word turns us and then it ties us to it and it leads us forward um, to be turned by God, to be tied to him in his word, uh, and then leading us forward as we've been looking at the old age and new creation. So anyway, I didn't know that's how I was going to start, but I always got to start somewhere. Um, but thinking about Romans 8, that's a good way to start. Um, last week, as we were in Romans 7, um, and even in the second half of Romans 6, i um, been using the uh, uh, very fancy slides after talking about them for so many years, these overlapping circles, the MasterCard circles, or whatever else. I, find, I, you know, I, I, I Googled how to do a Venn diagram on PowerPoint, and it showed me. And I was like, wow, look what I did. Old age, new creation. Um, uh, and just working through this. I haven't added to this, so if you, I know some people you know, took some pictures and really been kind of helped by just having a visual to kind of look at while we're going through. So it's the same slides as last week. Um, but drawing the distinction, as Paul does in Romans 7, 7 following, between our experience in this time between the ages and the new creation um, and the time uh, uh, of glory. He's going to use that word several times here. When God has now removed sin. uh, No, God has already done that. He's removed sin from us as far as the east is from the west. But one day when we come into his presence um, in glory, either at our death or when Christ comes back, uh, we won't even know what sin was. Um, that's how far it will be removed. The way that God sees us, our identity, as Jesus delivers us from ourselves and delivers us, as it were, to our new creature, to our new self, like a package in Amazon. We talked about that last week. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Like a delivery man, picking me up and moving me across the threshold and laying me down. What's he delivering? He's delivering the new creature from the body of death. He's delivering me, my, my, my new self, my identity, who I am, no longer determined by, um, by such trivialities as you know, gender, sex, my proclivities, my sin, uh, my old nature, all those things which are my markers, what I do, don't do, say, don't say. Um, my identity given to me, declared unto me by the living and active word of God, going all the way back to Romans 4 with that word logizomai, being worded into being from death to life, from the old to the new, by God calling into being the things that did not exist. That great phrase from Romans 4.17. That identity being given fully, finally, surely, and certainly um, by God, pure gift, Romans 5, this is all just repetition, uh, so that none of us can boast, uh, that's who we are. And yet as I feel, and as I move through this world, this is the, I don't think this is going to work, I don't think it shows up, 
Um, no, it's just going to do red dot. And the overlap of the ages, which is present. This is where we live, what Paul elsewhere will call the last days. We're in the present time, this, this present age, the last days, the age of decay, when sin and death are still prevailing. Um, our experience, and that's the strong distinction in Romans 7, our experience is um, simultaneous. Simultaneously dead and alive. Simultaneously sinful and righteous. Simultaneously uh, old and new. Um, as God sees us, it's in, 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 in sort of the Latin theological shorthand, it's sola. Sola Christus, sola fide, all the solas we hear about in the Reformation sometimes. Um, by Christ alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. He sees us sola, only as righteous, as beloved. What he says to our Lord at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration is what he says to us. He can say that over and over and over again. You are my beloved child, with whom I am well pleased. I will never tire of telling us that. That's how God sees us. As we move through this world in the overlap of the ages, as somebody I was with once, it's like I'm slogging through jello across Siberia, and it's up to my chest. And I was like, that is very evocative. I mean, it's just like, oh, it's just a struggle. It's cold. Everything's just pushing hard. Um, that's the overlap of the ages. I'm going to stop and get into the text. Um, as Romans 6 told us, uh, death no longer has dominion over Christ. For his, As he came out of the grave, death no longer has dominion. We, still in this present age, where death and sin, the two great enemies, the last enemies, which are defeated, and we know that. We know the end of the story. We'll definitely get to that in Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30 today. Um... Death no longer has power over us, but we, still, we are still subject to death. Christ is not. We are. That's the overlap of the ages. That's all Romans 7 and back half of Romans 6, which brings us to Romans 8, which we started last week thinking about the overlapping circles, thinking about the, uh, uh, the different ways between our identity and our experience. Romans 7 is our experience. Ugh. I do not understand myself. The thing I don't want to do, I keep doing that. The thing I do want to do, I never seem to find the power, the motivation, the drive, the energy, unless there's a stick over me, you know, the stick and the carrot kind of stuff, uh, unless there's a great reward or a real stick. My behavior doesn't change. Who I am is only determined by my <laughs> externals. There's nothing in me that drives me to be the man, the woman that I wish I was. Wretch that I am. I wish I didn't need a reward or a threat of punishment to change who I am. Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's going to keep coming back to that. Our experience is both <coughs> that place where I can't do what I want to do and I keep doing the thing I don't want to do, and it's also our experience is sometimes, uh, you know, I read my Bible today. Um, as I talked about last week, some people just connected with them. You know, somebody wanted to merge, and I let them in, <laughs> you know. Um, and I wasn't even doing it out of pride, thinking somebody was going to do it. So I, I thought back, and I was like, wait, I just did it. I didn't, I didn't mean to do it. It just happened. It was spontaneous, as it were. It was in the spirit. It wasn't sort of Gil doing something in order to be nice. 
or in order for somebody to watch me or say like, oh good, you know, I know who that is, that's Frank Taylor, I'm going to let him in so that Frank likes me. You know, it's not, there's no, there's no reward to it, it just happened. That's our experience too, and I want to say that. And I hope that's more of our life than, than it's been. Um, take a little bit of hope from that. And yet it's also this, but it's also that. See the circles? See the overlap? This, that, and the other. So let's dive into the text. Let's see where we can go from here, because it's really good. Um, um, let's repeat. Let's go back and do, um, just to, uh, to catch the full weight of, um, of Romans 8, uh, the first 11 verses as well. Um, flesh and spirit, we'll look at 12 and 17 um, in a moment. We're going to really break up and put some pauses so we can, we can digest this in, in pieces. Uh, flesh and spirit, as I mentioned earlier, flesh is 12 times, spirit is 14 times in these 17 verses, uh, in these first 17 verses. It's just over and over. The not this, but that is a very Pauline, that's just a fancy word, which means Paul liked to do this. It's very typical of his form and his method. Um, he will define uh, a pattern of living, or a pattern of our identity, where not this, but that. Not of the flesh, but of the spirit. Um, uh, hear those dichotomies as he comes through. Um, walking not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Live not according to the flesh, but to the Spirit. Set your mind not on the flesh, but of the Spirit. To live according to the flesh is death, but according to the Spirit is life. The Spirit dwells in you. He's going to say that three times, 9, 11, and 11. And he's also going to say Christ is in you in verse 10. So we plainly have something going on here. So let's read it in here. There is therefore now no condemnation. This is right after wretch that I am. Who's going to deliver me? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and sin. Um, Let me pause there. Just because to my weird ear, this is one of the ways God has opened it. Uh, the, the original construction is even more jarring because a few times, like he did in Romans 7, 25, wretched man that I am, thanks be to God, he just sort of forgets grammar because he just, I, that's the way I hear it anyway. He's either writing or dictating and he just gets excited and they're just writing it down directly. He does that here in Romans 8, 3. It's something like for the law weakened as it is by the flesh was powerless what the law weakened as it is by the flesh could not do God and it's like he just he just had to say God and then he, and then he starts as it were a new sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh um, very much like Philippians 2 uh, to condemn sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are going to get there. That's going to be after Lent, so it's going to be a long way. We'll have to find a way to reconnect there. But life in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Um, what does that look like? Well, that's going to be Romans 12, 13, 14, and 15. You know, a significant part of the letter. What life in the Spirit, walking that way and not according to the flesh, might look like. But right now, he wants to really concentrate on this. Before we go to the what... He wants to make sure we hear the why. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. 
but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the minds on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here, with the help of the circles as a visual aid, all these poles, these dichotomies, not this but that, according to the flesh, according to the spirit, all these we can think of in the two ages, the old and the new, which is very similar to death and life. So many, so many miles can be traveled by just keeping that in mind as we read something like Romans 8. You, however, and this is where Paul gets very declamatory, he's declaring to you what is true and real and actual about you. This is your identity. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, that if is not a condition like you've got something to do. It's just a statement of fact, of causality. You who are in the Spirit means you have the Spirit. Um, uh, the Spirit dwelling in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So, teaser. Romans 8.31, we know this part um, almost by heart. It's a number of funeral we go to, thanks be to God. What shall we say about these things? In other words, I have lots of questions, God. What you write about in Romans 8 brings up all sorts of questions, like, what about my friend down the street who never goes to church, but truth be told, he's a better man than I am. He's a nicer guy. He gives more money away. He spends more time with people who need time, the poor, the disenfranchised, people who just are hurting. What about him? What about my uncle? What about my brother? What about my mom? What about my... All those questions. What should we say about those things? He's going to give us an answer. It may not be quite what we want to hear, but he's going to say it. So all that is starting to come up, I think, as we start to hear about those of you who are in the Spirit, you're at, the Spirit dwells in you. But for those who are in the flesh, uh, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. What should we say about that? We'll hear about that in just a minute. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life is life. That the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You can hear He just keeps hitting the same thing over and over and over. So in this transition piece, the ministry of the Spirit, big fancy words which will break down pretty easily, mortification and vivification. Those are theological words. You can hear mortify, mortis, mortal, which just means death. Um, being taken to death, being put to death, to mortify the flesh is to kill the flesh, to put the flesh to death. Vivify, Spanish is my other language, vivir, to live, vita, all those different Latin derivatives, life. To vivify is to give life, to bring life back, and put life back into something that was dead. So to mortify the flesh and to vivify the new creature, the ministry of the Spirit. It's constantly that. In the Gospel of John, he gives us this um, in those great chapters, 15, 16, 17, where he's talking about the helper, the paraclete, the one who is going to come. I am going away, but I am sending a helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. And what does Jesus say the Holy Spirit primarily does? In John 16, 
the Spirit will come and convict the world of sin. In other words, to mortify the flesh, to mortify all of us, to say, the world needs me. The world needs Jesus. The world needs resurrection. And what does he say in John? Just like six verses before that. It says, I am not going to leave you alone, for I am sending somebody else, the helper, who will come. And what will he do? He will bear witness about me. I take that to mean when Jesus is saying, the Spirit uh, will bear witness about me, bear witness about my life, my death, my resurrection, and my ascension to the Father, where I will be seated at the right hand, seated, seated at the right hand. When I'm sitting, it's done and finished and complete. And now all these things will be given to you to know as my gospel, that I am for you and not against you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit constantly as we go through the overlap of the ages, is to tell us that we need Jesus and to give us Jesus, to mortify the flesh and to give us life, to convict the world of sin, to bear witness about these things. As you were, classical language that I'm prone to use, to deliver us to the law, which puts me in my grave, and then to speak the sermon that pulls me out of the grave, the sermon of life that says, come forth. Little girl, get up. Lazarus, get out. Gil Cracky, you belong to me. You now have life in my name, so you shall have it to the full. The ministry of the Spirit. Hear what Paul says about heirs with Christ, the ministry of the Spirit, doing this constant work, this dual work, this one work in two words, as it will. The word of mortification and the word of vivification, the word of life. So then, brothers, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's actually a stronger word. If you live according to the flesh, you must die. Um, We who must die demand a miracle, that great poem, W.H. Auden. Um, uh, You will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 8.13. Let me stop there say how important that is. Right there, we can hear the overlap. The circles help us here. Um, uh, If we need to put to death the deeds of the body, well, we're in the old age. We know that we're still, in our experience, walking through jello across Siberia. Slogging, slogging, slogging. The thing I don't want to do, I keep doing. The person I want to be, I never am. Uh, But by the Spirit, you can put the deeds of the body, and you will live. Uh, 8.13 is a great sort of summary verse for the circles. Um, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, you might even say all who are driven by the Spirit of God, just to take away the sense that if you are led, where there's some ethical freedom that we might be able to exercise, that doesn't fit the context here. Um, uh, The Spirit who gives life and calls us out of the grave doesn't say, now, if you want to choose, it's much more, it's much stronger than that that now you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Why sons? Very specifically, right or wrong, good, bad, and different, because sons got the stuff. Um, The firstborn got the things of the Father, and we're going to be co-heirs of the firstborn. Massive shift of inheritance. And unlike an estate that's worth a million dollars, that's now going to be divided amongst, you know, how many billions of people? This is an infinite estate which is divided infinitely amongst all the co-heirs. Riches upon riches upon riches. 
Um, for all of you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, who cry, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Um, just two word, two languages for the same word. Father, Father, Daddy, Father. Um, for the Spirit Himself bears witness. You hear that same word in John, bears witness here in Romans 8. Um, the Spirit will bear witness about me, Jesus says. For the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified by Him. So there's the transition word. And now we're going to get to the Romans 8 that we normally think of when we think, ah, Romans 8. Um, the transition phrase, you know, Paul's, you know, after this, this mini Himalaya, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, Wow! And then he says, provided we suffer with him, um, in order that we also may be glorified. So another way of two categorical realities colliding, to suffer and to be glorified. What is to be glorified? Because um, I can use that word again later. Uh, think of ifications again, as it once was called. The justification, sanctification, glorification. Um, way I think about that, some of y'all heard me say this many, many times, justification, you know, in our past, you know, my, um, uh, my, my, my condemnation, my judgment, that's the word I was groping for, my judgment has already occurred, that's my justification. Uh, the penalty of sin has been removed, past tense, that happened. Sanctification, the power of sin, it's all about Romans 5 and 6. Uh, the power of sin here in the overlap of the ages, present tense. I am being saved. Glorification. When the very presence of sin will be removed from me, as God sees me now, as far as the east is from the west, so far as this, my sin been removed from me. When I am in glory with Him, uh, I'll know nothing of any part of privation. I mean, the, 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 the weep-worthy part of Revelation 21, for there shall be no more sea, for the, the place of chaos and death will be removed, and there'll be no more crying, no more tears, no more hunger, no more thirst, no more privation of need of any kind. All that's going to be removed. That's glory. That's the place where the very presence of sin, which all of creation we're going to hear in just a moment, is crying out underneath its weight. That's glory. So provided we suffer with Him and also be glorified by Him. So the, the situation shifts, and this is where it's going to start singing. I'm probably going to cry a little bit. Um, Romans 8 is a word for sufferers. It's that simple. I mean, if you somehow move through your life and you've never suffered, I don't know why it's always just, I can't go to Romans 8 without crying a little bit, then this word is not for you. But you know what? I'm looking around the room and I feel very confident in saying, this word is for you. This word is for you. This is not an abstract treatise. Remember, what should we say about these things? Because it's going to leave a lot of questions unanswered. Like, what about those people that I love who, earlier you said, if you're not in the Spirit but of the flesh? It's like, this isn't Philosophy 101 or 444. This isn't... Uh, there's answers for that. We can think biblically and go there. But this is a word for you. Teaser... Romans 9 
is going to set the stage that God's Word has not failed. The way it worked in the past is the way it works in the present, and it's the way it's going to work in the future. Because Paul's burden is my people, some others, Israel, his, the, the descendants of Abraham, the ethnic sons and daughters of Abraham. That's next week. So he's going to go somewhere to others, but right now for you, for sufferers, for those who in this present darkness feel the weight of either their own sin or the sin and the suffering and the futility of creation. The word of deliverance that says Jesus is going to take you out of the old and carry you to the new. He's going to deliver you from your old self, as it were, deliver you, deliver you to your new self, to your new creation. So hear these words. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I said, listen, and I'm going to stop. Um, uh, that doesn't mean whatever the suffering of this present time doesn't matter. This word is sometimes abused. It's used very wrongly to say, you know, what we sometimes call first world problems. That's true. A lot of us suffer from a lot of first world problems. And I want to say, it still suffers. It still hurts. Um, you're, 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 you've still got a diagnosis you have to deal with. Um, your person that you love is further away from you than you wish. And that still hurts. It's like, I know. I'm not in a gulag in sort of 19th century Russia. That's true, and that would be really, really, really bad. But what we suffer here is still suffering, and, it's, and the Lord cares about it. So I want to sort of lift that up, because I think in a lot of our minds, it's like, I can't really come to God with this, because it's not, this is never going to, nobody's ever going to write a book about this. This is never going to be elevated to, um, uh, the, the, the level of suffering that the Bible must certainly be talking about. I want to say, no, it's, it's those small things, that, that anxiety that you can't get rid of, if you want to speak in sort of mental health language, um, uh, that relationship that never seems to get healed, uh, the dealing with age, the pressures of being in the middle with children and parents or whatever else it is with you, the fear that I have about my own death, um, the suffering that I still have. It's been 28 years and I still miss her. That, you know, that's what he's talking about. So with that, I don't know, I'm going to go back. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing. That's to say everything ever. Uh, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Wow, what a word. For the creation suffers futility. Sort of Genesis 3, now it's thistles and thorns rather than the fruit of the vine. Now it's pain in childbirth rather than the joy of, a, of community and family. Um, now it's Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, or vapor, vapor, futility, futility. You could say all those words are very much related. For the creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it, God. So again, the answer we get may not be the answer we want. Subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free. This is not hope like, gosh, I hope it, the rain holds off because I left something outside and don't want it to get wet. No, this is a certain and true conviction of that's going to happen. 
And I'm standing in hope of tomorrow because I know that the rest of today, though it's dark, the dawn is coming. That's certain and sure hope. It is there. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan, uh, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, this certain and sure tomorrow, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes with what he sees or what he has. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So to hear again this word to suffering people. Um, The sufferings of this present time. Creation waits with eager longing. Creation was subjected to futility. Creation itself will be set free from bondage. The whole creation itself has been groaning together. And not only creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait. We wait for it with patience. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness over and over and over. Paul wants to keep coming back to say, You who suffer, I see you. And you are not a person without hope. You are going to be given a word. Um, So then, well, let's go to 26 and 27, and then we'll hit pause and set up 28 and the rest. Um, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. That's just such a great throwaway line. I mean, just to hear that right there. We are so lost, so disoriented, going all the way back to Romans 3, and that long litany, that mashup from the Psalms especially. Our throats are open graves. Um, none of us are righteous, no, not one. You know, um, our tongues are deceit. Uh, so marred and disoriented, so blind and deaf that we don't even know how to pray. Not, not, not what to pray, not how to pray, and a word of hope. Uh, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, or with sighs that words cannot express. Um, and he who searches the heart, call it for purity. Think of that every time we hear that. Um, Almighty God, until all hearts are open, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. I mean, certainly Paul had that in mind when he wrote this. Um, uh, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Pause. Now we're going to set up the rest of the story. Um, Paul's about to make a really strange move to us um, with this suffering of this present age and the evil that's around us and the feelings that we have of the privation and need, groaning and sighs that words cannot express, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting not for just because, oh, it's going to be fun, I wonder what Santa brought me, but no, because there is something right now which is pressing in on me and which is creating suffering. It hurts. It's not good. It's not okay. Paul's next move is a strange one. But remember, this is a word for sufferers. It's not an abstraction of sort of philosophy or theology or some graduate course or something like that. What's he going to do? He's about to introduce us to the idea of election, to the idea of being chosen by God in a long strain of verbs, all of which are in the past completed sense. Even our futures are known to God as and they're all in the past. 
This goes all the way back to the first class. How is life? This is in some ways what the book of Romans is about. Paul's saying, like, what is life like when you live it with judgment behind you? Because even our glorification, that time when we come across the Jordan, as it were, uh, either at our own deaths or when Christ comes back, even our own our glorification is a past tense and completed work by God. Because God has foreknown us, and those whom He has foreknown, He has elected, and those whom He elected, He called, and those He called, He justified, and those whom He justified, He glorified. About to hear all that. Those whom He foreknew, um, lots of ways I hear that word. I think of the way the Bible speaks of Adam knowing Eve, um, uh, of uh, now that you know God, as Paul says in Galatians, or rather are known by Him, with that sense of intimacy and trust. Um, God knowing us, as Psalm 139 would say, before we were in our mother's womb, foreknowledge, those whom He foreknew, He elected, which is a laden word, I know, and for some of us we come with baggage on that word for good reason. Um, sorry. Chosen. Chosen, you know, I mean, I have to think of junior high and sort of, you know, I was a team captain like twice in my whole life because, you know, I was always waiting to be chosen. I hope I'm not the last one, that kind of thing. To be chosen and says like, no, no, I want you. Come. You're with me. Chosen by God. And those of me chosen outside of time, God does that. And then in time, He calls. That's the word of calling. In this world, between, you know, this birth date and this death date calls some action where he woos us to him. And those whom he calls, he justifies. And he makes okay. He puts them at ease, says, you are mine. You need have no fear. And those whom he justifies, he also glorifies. Past tense, even though that's in our future, to God it's already happened. It's complete and it lacks nothing. Now that raises lots of questions. Again, what about my uncle? What about my brother? What about my sister? What about the, the lost? You know, the people of different religions on the other side of the world, outside. What about the people before Christ? And Paul, as it were, trying to find a way to land this plane, um, raises his fan and says, shh, hold on, that's a good question. I'm not saying it's not a good question, but that's not the question I want to answer. Because he can say, what shall we say about these things? Those are good questions, but this is what I want. What should we say about those things? If God is for you, you, not y'all, not them, you. If God is for you, who can be against you? Has he withheld anything from you? Has he held himself back? No, not at all. He who did not spare his own son, how could he hold anything back for, not them, you? Well, who's going to condemn me? Nothing and no thing, no one. We're going to go through that whole litany. Not height, depth, angels, demons, principalities, powers. You can't separate yourself from God. If He calls you, He justifies and glorifies you. In the completed past tense, you belong to Him. What about... Not them. You. I'm talking to you. So that's how I want to end. Here's how we go. Romans 8. Um, 8.28 For we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say about these things? Remember, our minds are racing. He says, this, I have an answer. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to, has the power to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, take these words, um, my words which are feeble, and your words which are gracious and strong, and, uh, and deliver us. Uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. 